Hi, all. Hi. Welcome to Baymarin. Uh, we're down to four teams in the World Cup. So, it, uh, with my apologies to our Latin American friends, it has become the Euro Cup. Uh, so, uh, we're not going to talk about the World Cup, though. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. We've been going through this series called Original Blessing, and I want to dive back into this this morning. Oh, but before I do, Gabe Rocha, welcome back. You've been gone a year? Yeah, all right. He's been gone a year abroad, and he is back in our midst. Welcome back. Um, before we dive in, let me say a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for your presence with us. God, I pray this morning you would wake us up more and more to who you are and who you created us to be. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, so I want to talk, uh, do a little review, and then uh, jump into some stuff we haven't covered yet in this series. And so uh, we're calling this series Original Blessing, and there's a, a whole lot of things, I think, that fall into that in Genesis 1 and 2 that we can explore. Uh, but there are three times in uh, Genesis 1 and 2, actually all three of them in Genesis 1, uh, that God blesses. Uh, that it explicitly states in the text that God blessed. And so the first one is of non-human creatures. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. So the very first blessing in all of scripture. Oh man, I did this last week too. Uh, children, if you would like to go back to the seats in the back, you are more than welcome to do so. Uh, we are thrilled to have you here in this building with us. Uh, you're welcome. <clears throat> uh, so the very first blessing in all of Scripture is given to non-human creatures. And God blesses them and says, increase in number, multiply, fill the earth. And so God blesses non-human creatures before humans ever arrive on the scene. The second blessing given in Scripture is to humans, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And we talked about this way of ruling that, uh, sadly, this has been one of the most misinterpreted texts of Scripture, uh, that some people have interpreted this in such a way that if God gave us the earth to subdue and rule over, we can do whatever we want to it. But if we are image of God, the way we rule should be the way God rules. And the way we see God rule over and over and over again throughout the scriptures is out of benevolence and love and service. And so God invites us as humans to be benevolent, loving, and serving towards others and all creation. So these are the first two blessings given in Scripture. We're going to get to the third in a little bit. So I want to skip to what we looked at last week. The text we looked at last week is Genesis 2, verse 7. 
And this is, uh, so Genesis 1 is a poem sharing the creation narrative. Genesis 2 is a retelling of creation. And in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So when God forms the man, the Adam, it, the text literally says God created the Adam from the Adama. And so this is a Hebrew wordplay. God created the man from the ground, from the Adama. And so uh, several people have tried to take this wordplay into English and have translated it, God formed the earthling from the earth, or God formed the human from the hummus. And so this text teaches us that theologically we are intimately connected to the earth. We were created from the earth. We were created from the ground. We are intimately connected to the earth. This is what God shaped and formed us from, is the earth. But we are not simply earth. We are not simply ground. We are not simply dust. God breathed into humans the breath of life, and they became a living being. So we talked about how we are dust, but we are divine dust. And so this is, there is this very real sense in which we are intimately connected to the ground, to the substance of the earth, and we have the divine breath of God flowing through us. And so we ended last week uh, looking at this question. What does it look like to live an integrated life, body and soul? In other words, the Adama and the divine breath, both. Uh, that they, they should not be dichotomized, they should not be separate. It's, it's not a different way of living, uh, one in the body, one from soul, but it, they are integrated. God created us as integrated beings. And so what does it look like to live in embodied and soulful relationships with God, others, the self, and the earth? And so I want to carry from that idea that we took last week into what we're going to look at today. And so we're going to skip to verse 15 in Genesis 2, where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so the first task entrusted to the first human is to work and take care of the garden. Uh, these Hebrew words, work and take care of, are abad and shamar, and they mean to work and take care of, or to cultivate and look after, or to serve and protect. So the first task given to the first humans is to cultivate, take care of, to serve, to protect the rest of God's creation. And so God creates all things beautiful. God declares all things good, and he creates the first humans, and he places them in the creation and says, here you go. Do something with it. Make it even more beautiful. Cultivate it. Work it. Take care of it. I'm entrusting this to you. And so this is what God does. So I want to talk about two things, primarily two things today. The first being work 
And then uh, we'll talk about a second thing. So next slide, uh, the gift of work as service. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago how work uh, is not something that resulted from what uh, theologians have historically called the fall, that God worked to create, and then God created us to work and take care of all that he had created. And so work is a gift, and the opportunity to serve and to work is gift from God. Uh, we live in a very broken world, and so often work can feel like a drudgery. It can, it, it can feel uh, like it's just too much. And yet God's original intent for our work, for our vocation, for what he created us to do was blessing, joy, and delight. And so the original intention of work is good and beautiful and a part of what it means to live in God's kingdom of shalom. And so God gives us this gift of work. Uh, when we think about service, I think often we have this idea of service in our minds that uh, like uh, in the olden days, if you will, really wealthy people had servants uh, and it was a, uh, a lower class uh, occupation. Uh, but this is embedded into the heart of who God is to serve. God is one who serves and he creates us to serve. And if we believe that God most fully reveals God's self in and through Jesus, we see the greatest servant we have ever known in Jesus. Jesus says this, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus comes as a servant and ultimately as a suffering servant. Jesus enters a broken world, a world filled with, with heartache, uh, with confusion, with chaos, with sin. And Jesus enters as a suffering servant to show us the way to be fully human, to show us what God really looks like, to show us the way of the cross so that we can experience the way of resurrection. Jesus says elsewhere, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, this comes uh, in, in the context of uh, Jesus' disciples from time to time would argue about who is the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Uh, and Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, if we can go back to that slide, if you want to be the greatest, you must become a servant. Greatness in Jesus' kingdom looks like service. Uh, greatness in Jesus' kingdom looks like humility. And humility is not this self-deprecating way of being. It's not a uh, oh, woe is me, it's not, I'm insignificant. It is living into who God created you to be. True humility is being you. And so it, it isn't uh, a less than, it isn't a lowly, it, it, it's, it's being who God created you to be. It's recognizing your connection to the earth that you were created from the ground. 
and recognizing the divine breath flowing through you and living into who God created you to be rather than going your own way and living the way you want to live. Because at our deepest core, our deepest longings and desires are always found in the creator God of the universe and allowing that divine breath to flow through us and God's spirit to lead and guide us into all truth and live into who he created us to be. So I wonder, I wonder this, what does it look like to have embodied and soulful work? When you think about your work, and uh, let's just be clear that, that work is not only what you might do for money. Uh, it's other sub-vocations, if you will, that you find yourselves in. Uh, you, you may be a, a full-time parent, and uh, much of your work includes doing laundry and uh, caring for children and uh, doing schoolwork with your children. It, uh, much of your work might be uh, you, you love to garden. Uh, much of your work might be found in volunteer service outside of what you might do for money. But it also does include what you might do for money. And so what does it look like in all the work that you've been entrusted with, in all of the areas that God has entrusted us to, to use our hands and feet, our bodies and soul in our work, what does it look like for it to be embodied and soulful work? I wonder what that looks like for us to live into our work in the way God originally designed it and intended it to be for us. Because we can often get caught up in a hectic, busy schedule. It's thing after thing. It's everything scheduled out. And it just feels stressful, and it can feel overwhelming. And there's this, this, this. And the kids got this uh, piano, and music, and drama, and sports, and school, and homework. And I have to do this work and this work and this work and drive here and go there. And what, what does it look like to take a step back and look at all the things in our lives that God has entrusted us with and ask the question, what does it look like for this to be truly embodied and soulful work in the way God intended it from the beginning? Uh, Next slide. Um, Lynn Twist says this, Each of us experiences a lifelong tug-of-war between our money interests and the calling of our soul. When we're in the domain of soul, we act with integrity. We are thoughtful and generous, allowing, courageous and committed. We are open, vulnerable and heartful. We are trustworthy and trusting of others. We feel at peace within ourselves and confident that we are an integral part of a larger, more universal experience, something greater than ourselves. Uh, what might it look like for us in our day-to-day -day work routines to recognize we are a part of something bigger than just ourselves? that the story of God is moving forward, and God has invited us into that story to be a part of it and to play a role 
in embodied and soulful ways. Uh, Jesus said it differently. He said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? If we're going to live embodied and soulful, uh, Jesus invites us into a way of being more fully human that shows us a better way forward, where we don't give up our soul in the process, but we learn more and more this embodied and soulful way of being in the world. Uh, I have this thought. I, I believe we're invited to remember and wake up to the difference between meaningless striving and meaningful work. Because God created work from the beginning to be meaningful not meaningless. And I think there are times for us when we are moving so fast and at such a quick pace that it feels like meaningless striving, striving after something that just might never be attained, rather than engaging meaningful and purposeful work that God intends for us. So, with those thoughts on work and the blessing that work is, that that God entrusted us to work, uh, I want to look at the third blessing that God mentions in Scripture. It's Genesis 2-2, by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing so that on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. And so the text tells us that God is one who works, God is one who serves, and yet on the seventh day God rested, and what did God do with the seventh day? He blessed it. This is the third mention of blessing in Genesis 1. And it's about a day. On top of that, this is the only time in the creation narrative that the word holy is used. And it's about a day. God blessed this day, and he declared it holy. Uh, This should really grab our attention. That out of the three blessings in the creation narrative, the first is of non-human creatures, the second is of humanity, the third is a day, and it's a day of rest. And the only mention of holiness in the entire creation narrative is about a day, and it's the day of rest. Uh, This day, which we call Sabbath, Now, I know all kinds of arguments have sprung up. What day should we celebrate Sabbath? Uh, Jews celebrate it from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. At some point in Christian history, Christians changed it to Sunday. I don't think which day it is matters. What matters is that God set up a rhythm from the beginning of creation. Six and one, six and one, six and one. 
Six days of work. One day of rest. Uh, Notice this. Before Sabbath was a command, it was a blessing. Before Sabbath was a command, it was a rhythm of life embedded into the very nature of the universe. Uh, This isn't a command in Genesis 1. It's just simply a blessing. It's a gift. Later in the Ten Commandments, which we find in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, we see it's one of the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath. But before there were ever these commands in Scripture, the Sabbath was a blessing. It was given as gift because God set up this rhythm and he said, you humans who I have blessed, I want you to rest from your work. Take a day, step back, and rest from your work. Uh, You'll notice if you go to Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20 and read about the Sabbath command, it is the longest command of the ten. And in it is the command to let your non-human creatures rest also. So the Sabbath is gift not only to humans, but to non-humans as well. And even as you read through the law and the Torah, it is a command of the land. And so it is gift to the land, it is gift to non-human creatures, it is gift to humanity. Uh, God created us to work, to cultivate, to serve. And then God says, but there's this rhythm, and I want you to take a day that looks different. I want you to take a day off and root yourself in me. Root yourself in this rhythm of work and rest. Uh, Also, if you look at Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, the reason for the Sabbath is different. In one of the accounts, I forget which one, I think Exodus 20 says, uh, keep the Sabbath because six days I worked and on the seventh I rested. In the Deuteronomy account, it says the reason to keep the Sabbath is because you were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out. Notice what God is doing? Sabbath is rooted in creation. It's also rooted in redemption. Our created being is made to work and rest. We also recognize that we live in a broken world and we need redemption. And so God is reminding us of this rhythm, work and rest. And God is saying, on this day that I've given you as gift to rest, remember me as creator and redeemer. I am the one who shaped and formed you and blew the divine breath in you. And I am the one who brings you out of slavery. The Israelites were working seven days a week, all day long, making brick after brick after brick after brick. And God brings them out and reminds them, you were not made for slavery. You were made to work, but also rest. And you, for years and years and years, have been slaving away. You've been striving, and I have brought you out of that. And I'm inviting you back into this rhythm of work 
and rest. So remember me as your creator and remember me as your redeemer and take a break. Rest. Maybe we should do a whole Sunday later on what Sabbath looks like, what rest looks like. I think it looks different for different people. But um, I want to think about this for a second, Uh, the list. Anyone here have a list of things you need to do? Three and the rest of you are lying, I assume? Uh, Okay, let's try this since you don't want to raise your hand. Anyone not have a list of uh, (laughs) Gabe? (laughs) Awesome. Uh, The list will come. You just got back. Um, here's, Here's something I think. The list never ends. You check one thing off, you, you add two more. Uh, the list never ends. And so what, what will it take to just Im- accept reality that you do have a list and that it will never end? What will it take to set the list aside for a day and allow there to be a day that looks different. And it will look different for different people. I got four kids. Sabbath looks way different for me now than it did before we had kids. Uh, but we, we intentionally try for us on Saturday to, to make the day look different. Uh, and things will come up. It's going to happen. Uh, Yesterday, I didn't want to do it, but we needed to do some laundry, so we did two loads of laundry. I I don't like to do laundry on Saturday, but we did it. And as I'm throwing clothes in in the washing machine, knowing I'm going to talk about this today, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what does it look like for me in this moment doing laundry to do this with the spirit of Sabbath? Because there is a way of being the spirit of Sabbath, uh, that looks different than work. Uh, And so, God invites us to recognize there is a list and simply set it aside. We're going to set the list aside for a day, a week. Uh, And this day is going to look different. And I'm going to enjoy life to the fullest because Sabbath is never, ever, ever intended to be burden. It is gift. It is gift. If we ever make it a burden the way the religious people in Jesus' day did, we have completely missed the point of rest and Sabbath. Uh, This thought. Our lives and our worth are not based on how much we can produce, but rather our worth is found in the Creator's love, the Creator who invites us into being fully human, a people who look like God in our work and rest, service and play. It is an integrated life, not a fragmented life. God invites us into a rhythm of looking like God in work and in rest, whatever that might look like for you. Uh, Jesus said this, 
Next slide. The Sabbath was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. So we shouldn't carry around this idea of, oh, I have to take a day of rest. Rather, the recognition that Sabbath is a gift to us to enjoy and to delight in God and others and the planet that God has entrusted us with. It's sheer gift to simply rest. And here's also something that I think uh, we should pay attention to, that if we will live into this rhythm of work and rest, when we rest, it will revive us for the work that God has called us to. When we rest, we will be able to pay attention more to God's spirit within us and what God is calling us to in our work. When we rest, we will become more fully human and know how to engage our work better and more fully for God's glory. When we rest, we actually have space to pay attention to what God is doing within us and what God is doing around us and in our midst. Because there are all kinds of great works, great service projects, great things to say yes to. But if we say yes to all the good things and good opportunities that come before us, we will live a fragmented life. And so we need rest to help us pay attention to the things God has called us to and the boundaries we simply need to have in our lives and the things that we just simply need to say, no, I, I can't add that to the list. I can't add that to my life. That is such a great thing. I really want to do that, and I just simply can't because I don't have the margin. I, I won't be the person I need to be for my family, for my community, for the world, if I say yes to that thing. Rest helps us discern that. So uh, I want to end our time this morning by reflecting on a few questions. So here, here's the first one. Are you out of rhythm? Does it feel like your life is fragmented or integrated? Uh, where in your life might you be out of rhythm? Uh, what have you said yes to that as you reflect on it, there's this sense of, I, actually, I need to let that thing go uh, so that I can do this other thing with more energy and better? Uh, where are you out of rhythm? Next. In what ways have we seen work and Sabbath as command rather than gift, as a rule rather than an original blessing from the beginning? Uh, what, what would it look like for us to, when we think of rest, when we think of Sabbath, always think of it in terms of God's blessing, God's gift, uh, a day of delight, a, a day of fun, uh, a day set apart that looks different from other days, a day where we are re-rooted in God as creator and redeemer. Not as this thing that, well, I should do that if I'm 
going to be a good Christian or whatever. But, but this gift that God has given us. Will we allow work and rest to shape and form us into being more fully human? Because they both shape and form us, because they're both gift from the beginning. God created work. He created it good. He entrusted us with work, and it should shape and form us, as should rest. And then, will we follow Jesus, the true servant, the true worker, and Lord of the Sabbath? Uh, Jesus declared himself Lord of the Sabbath. He says, uh, humans were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a gift for humans. And the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus gives us Sabbath as gift. Jesus knew Sabbath and its intention better than anyone else. And he was the one who was always accused of breaking it, ironically, uh, by the religious leaders. But Jesus knew what Sabbath rest looked like. Jesus knew how to live into this rhythm of work and rest so that he could more fully do what he was intended to do when he came to earth. And then lastly, what does it look like to allow Jesus who offers us our work and rest to form us into being more fully human? Uh, what does it look like for you and for me to so fully entrust our lives to God with our work and with our rest? Uh, because I think uh, work, the, thing, the list, the things we have to do, th those are the things that often cause us anxiety, right? Stress. Uh, these are the things that can just... Oh, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And then if you do intentionally try to take a day of rest, what happens? You're thinking about all the things you have to do, right? I, I mean, it can, it can feel really disorienting if you begin practicing Sabbath and, and you haven't practiced it before or haven't practiced it for a long time because you're, you're just, oh, oh, I shouldn't be resting. I got, I got all these things I need to do. So I, I wonder what it would look like to just if you haven't been practicing it, to try to practice it. And if things come up for you in your mind, if you need to write them down on the list, write them down on the list. And then set the list aside again. And then as you're practicing Sabbath, if something comes up, okay, I'm going to write it down. Uh, I wonder for us in our day and age, Sabbath, uh, what, what does it look like for us to set our devices aside? for a day. Ooh. Uh, what does it look like to take a day away from email? A day away from constantly looking at this thing we carry around with us all the time. What might rest from screens look like in our culture? Uh, it could change everything. Why didn't you get back to me? Well, I took a day off from my phone. No one does that! Uh, what if you did? This morning, as we come and partake of the bread in the cup, uh, I want to simply invite you into the Sabbath rest of Jesus. And 
allow Jesus to fill you back up for the work that God created you for. Uh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life, his death, and the power of the resurrection. God, this morning, we want to be a people who live embodied and soulful lives in our work and in our rest. God, would you wake us up to what that looks like? Remind us of the original blessing, your original intention for us as a people who are called to work and serve and cultivate and a people who are called and invited into your rest. As we come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, fill us with your Sabbath rest. Fill us with your goodness and love. Fill us with a greater discerning spirit of the work you have called us to. Remind us of the gift of your life and your death and your resurrection. In the name of Jesus, amen.